Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Two words that come to mind for our interview today with Rita Materas is massive and passive. After being a nurse for many years, she became frustrated when she learned how much her retirement income would be. So Rita decided to take her destiny in her own hands and took a massive action to buy 21 out-of-state properties in 11 months. We cover so much with Rita on today's show, including how to really invest and rehab properties out-of-state, how to build a remote team long-distance, the power of perseverance and networking, and why worrying is useless. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show. And we have Rita on our on today's interview. We're excited to have Rita. Rita, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to jump into her story, which in a moment here. And I uh, just wanted to get connected to everyone. And uh, Andressa, you're doing well? Yes. Good. I'm very well. Good, good, good. We... Um, we always like to get connected to everyone before we jump into um, our guest story and, and all the wonderful things we're going to get into here in the show. Today, I went to an early morning spinning class, okay? Look at and you. I what know, time? right? What time? Uh, five, 545 class. Yeah, 545 class. So I hadn't gone in a while. I get up early and I tend to do work in the morning because it's quiet time. And I said, you know, I really I have not gotten to the gym in a while. So I made a commitment. I went to the spinning class. And the guy's, you know, getting you going and you're kind of getting in your head, you know, getting out of your head and like, okay, I'm here working out. And the guy goes, the instructor says, before we, before we begin, I want to ask you a question. What is your intention with this class? And I'm like, my intention, you know, I'm like, that's powerful. I'm like, just to, here to work out, you know? And he's like, no, what's your intention? And he's like, here's the thing. If you don't know what your intention is in doing something, then when you want to quit, you know, halfway through this class, that intention is going to pull you out, motivate you to, to end powerfully and to finish powerfully. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know I was going to get like motivated here at the spinning <laughs> class, you know? Then that got me thinking, do I go into every meeting, right? And every right. Um, segment of my day with an intention, um, you know, just, you know, our podcast, our everything we're up to with our investor community, all the my to-dos, am I going in with an intention? And I'm like, that really inspired me. I'm like, you know, I want to go in everything today with an intention, a positive intention. So I just wanted to share that. I didn't think my spin, the, the spin instructor was going to, you know, pump me up as much, you know, but I was really inspired by that. Yeah. When we think about real estate and why do we invest in real estate, right? The intention behind it will pull us through all yeah. the issues with contractors, with deals that fall through and mm-hmm. all the perseverance. Yeah. So, Photos for your instructor. Yeah. <laughs> I went up to him and I said, thank you so much for the inspiration. And he's like, you know, if I don't say those kinds of things, then I forget them. So I do it as well for myself. I said, that's a very good point, right? We teach what we want to learn. So yeah. without further very ado, cool. <laughs> I just realized like, that's very awesome. I'm like, you should speak professionally. Um, <laughs> without further ado, Rita, thanks again for being on our show. Um, we, we love to ask all the ladies that we interview, these amazing women we interview, you know, what propelled you to get into real estate investing? What for you really got you kind of hooked into this business? And, and I know you've grown quite a bit of a portfolio for yourself. 
Well, my grandparents owned a duplex and you would think that I would have been smart enough to get into real estate and follow in their footsteps at that point. But unfortunately, I was not and I did not. And I bought into going to school, going to college, getting a great career, getting a good education. And I took that route. And I was going along fine with a nice house, a nice car, a nice family until the fateful day where I thought, hmm, how about real uh, retirement? What am I going to do about my retirement? And I made that fateful phone call where I call Social Security Administration. And I just happened to ask them, what will my benefits look like? And they looked it up and they said, yeah. well, Miss Medeiros, you're going to have the grand total of under $2,000 a month to retire. And I thought, oh my God. I mean, I had done all the correct things in terms of 401ks, IRAs and whatnot. But I thought, I don't know about you ladies, but I've had shoes and purses that are worth just about that. And I thought, how on earth will I live on that? And that was the fateful day that I said, you know what? I need massive and passive income and I need to get into real estate. We all know that real estate's out there, but that was the switch that took off in my brain that I needed to make up and create retirement, massive and passive income. Wow. And after that, if you can walk us through, what were your first actions that you took? My first actions were to uh, research a little bit. And I was amazed to find out that there was a cottage industry that had grown up in terms of out of state, investing, uh, massive portfolios. It wasn't just a small mom and pop anymore. So I thought, you know what? Other people have done this. I too can do that. So I jumped into out-of-state investing. I purchased my first single-family home and then just did another one and did another one and ended up purchasing 21 single-family homes in the next 11 months. Yeah, and out-of-state investing. So there's a lot to that, right? I mean, and, and people, you hear so much on like the forums and, you know, Facebook groups and how people are often outpriced in their local market. And they're like, you know, I don't think I want to invest locally. I want to go, you know, to where some of the other markets are, are growing and things I've, I've heard. But then they get stopped, right? Because they don't live there. They got to get on an airplane to get there. And, and they get stopped with just the process. So not just finding a good deal and, but then it's managing the renovations and having somebody have the boots on the ground and making sure the property's being taken care of well. So how did you navigate that, right? Because it's a big thing to A, invest, but then B, to invest in, in a property that you, you don't even live close to. So how did you navigate that? First, I felt I needed boots on the ground. So I went to a realtor first to uh, look at the properties. I went through two realtors until I found a hungry realtor. And that was just someone that was responsive to me, that would uh, send me enough listings, that understood my price parameters, understood the geographical location. So to me, I felt the realtor was the easiest part of that team to put together because they're out there, they're prevalent. They, you can find out if they're hungry, if they want to work with you or not. You can go through them. It doesn't cost a lot to work with a realtor. So I felt that was the easiest piece to put together was finding a, a great realtor. Mm-hmm. Rita, and you, you mentioned the, the amount of houses that you purchase within a considerable short period of time. When, for the ladies that are listening to us and they're thinking, oh, I'm getting ready to get ready and then I'll 
be ready someday to purchase my first house. What are the step-by-step that you took financially, educational side for you to purchase that amount? How many did you do? Like 20? 21 in 11 months. 21 in 11 months. How did you manage to purchase all of those? I started with a passion. I was absolutely serious about building a portfolio. So I threw myself into education. I read 50 books in that first year. I listened to 350 podcasts. I went to all the different local RIAs. I went to weekend functions, to Miami, to Philadelphia, to Denver. I really immersed myself because I had a lot of catching up to do. And I was very excited about this real estate Mm -hmm. endeavor. And I was quite passionate about it. So that was uh, the first step was education. But I didn't wait to start my building of the business until I was totally educated. I kind of went along as I learned. So in the, uh, as I was learning, then I started calling lenders. And I actually ended up calling 85 lenders wow. before I found one that was willing to work with me. Because again, I was out of state. So I started first calling Florida lenders. And they didn't want me because I was out of state. So I had to... But I always look back and think, what if I had stopped at lender number 84? I would never have been able to find a lender that would work with me and give me 10 loans. So I, and what I credit. Was the challenges? What was the challenges, Rita, that, that, the, that they had with, with that scenario? Uh, I was inexperienced. Challenge number one, I didn't have a, a track, record track record behind me. That was a big one. I uh, wasn't interested in the seasoning. I wanted to hurry up and get going. Yeah. Uh, the out-of-state barrier was another. Uh, the Florida lenders were willing to lend to me, but not out-of-state. So it was, uh, now I'm uh, more educated. I know more about portfolio lenders and all, but I just started calling community banks, uh, credit unions, all the different banks. I just sat down one day and Googled and I kept Googling names until I found a bank that was willing to uh, work with me. And then I was off and running. I mean, the, you know, that's super impressive. So like first, let me, let me just dissect this. First. So, so massive is the word I'm, that you said, and that's obviously what you did. Like not just a book, you didn't just read a book or listen to a podcast, right? You said you read 50 books. That's, that's really impressive, right? So that's huge. And that's clear. You clearly immerse yourself. And then from a lending perspective, you know, that's obviously one of the biggest steps that you know, people start looking for deals first, you know, and that's not what you said. You said you taught, you called lenders first. And I, and I think that's kudos to you because people get so into the prop, the deals and the property, but you know, in this market, if you can't move quickly, you're yeah, not going to have that deal. So you got to have the money lined up, whether it's private money or institutional money, your own money, whom, whom, who's ever money, but that's got to be lined up first. So I love that you did that. And then, then to call 85 lenders, right? I mean, that's, that's not like five or 10. I mean, that's like 85. Like I'm thinking in my head, wow. Like I used to do cold calling, you know, and to call 85 people um, is, is impressive. Right. So, so walk us through that. Like, how did you deal with the, the, cause like you got a lot of no's there. What made you keep calling? I mean, like I would have, like most people stop, they stop quickly. They stop like, this isn't going to work. I need to move on. Like what in you kept you going? 
I think what really encouraged me was the fact that I was going to local RIAs and I was participating and I thought if someone else has done this, I know that I can do it. Mm -hmm. And it might take me 85 calls. It might take me 185. But Mm -hmm. if someone else has paved the way, then I know I can follow in their footsteps. I might have to work a little harder. I might have to go a little longer. But all I needed to see was the example. And Mm -hmm. that's what encouraged me and fueled me and kept me passionate about, I know I can do this. Mm. Wow. It's like the word perseverance comes to my mind right now. And sometimes I think that that's what, I don't know if it's lack of perseverance or wrong expectations that some folks have when they start real estate and they see a lot of, you know, HDTV shows and they might think, oh, I'm going to make five calls or oh, I look at 10 houses, none of them went, went well. Like your mindset, you think that you acquired that during that period or all your life and the examples that you had in your life, the circumstances that you had in your life, those also contribute for you to have this tenacity to get it done. I think that that uh, was probably a character trait that I've carried Uh, within myself, maybe not to this degree, because I've never been as passionate about anything up until this real estate business. But I also always had that sense of perseverance and consistency in my life. And I've always just thought, if someone else has accomplished something, if I put in more effort than they, I ought to be able to get to the same level. Got it. So for the ladies that are listening to us, and Sometimes they don't have the self-confidence or the perseverance or examples in their lives. What would you tell the lady that is just like, I'm about to quit this thing. I'm I'm not cut for this. I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. What would you tell her? I would encourage anyone to just hang around other like-minded individuals. It will rub off. If we don't have that confidence yet, if we can position ourselves next to someone else who has already done something, then we start to gain that enthusiasm from them. I'm going to a luncheon today. I'm going to one, uh, an event tonight. I'm always in the process of learning and positioning myself around people, hopefully who are more experienced, more knowledgeable than I am, because I get excited about their successes. And I think, oh boy, I can, I can do that down the road also. So just yeah. keep hanging around others who have accomplished what, what we wish to accomplish. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, so, so I'm curious, cause I love these numbers that you're sharing. So, so the 50 books, you're immersing, immersing yourself, the 85 lenders, you're, you're on to 84 and you're probably scratching your head, but you kept going. So what that 85th lender say to you? What, what, what was there? Okay. Like what, what, how did you find them? Where'd you find them? What, where were they, where were they located? They were a nationwide lender. You know, I don't, I think they were in Minnesota, but they lended in all, all 50 states. And the most important thing was they said yes. And they gave me a great rate and they just started working with me and I just submitted all my material to them. But they were, 
used to doing this and they didn't say no to me. And I thought, mm. wow, I, I just stumbled across the right formula. It was kind of a Rubik's cube of just trying to get the right. And once it clicked, then it was really easy. I just fell into the flow of submitting documents. They stamped it. They said, okay, there are your 10 loans. There you go. And it was relatively easy once I hit the right, the correct formula. Mm. Wow. And so, so you got your money lined up, you got the lender lined up. What was your next step? How did you actually start looking for properties in areas that you don't live? With I decided with this realtor yes. contact. Yes, I'd never met the realtor. We just worked by phone, and I've only been to my geographic area one time. I own properties that I've never seen because I decided to put together my team, and my team consists of a realtor who was pretty much a go-getter and hungry. That was critical. And then uh, I felt rock stars would lead me to other rock stars. And they did. The realtor led me to a title company who led me to an insurance agent who mm. led me to a property management company who led me to a couple of contractors. So by working with strong people, I would continually ask questions. Who do you know in the field? And they would lead me to other rock stars. Some of them worked out for a while. For example, I'm on my second property manager. Great. I'm on my third contractor, but mm -hmm. everyone led me to someone that was productive and some mm -hmm. worked out better than others. And well, being so remote, I'm sorry, Andressa, no, um, we have like 95 million questions here. <laughs> <laughs> so being so remote, how did you manage the communication, right? So how did you know they were doing what they said they were going to do, especially from a, you know, uh, contractor perspective and property management perspective? I often feel that we are investing in real estate in the best time ever because of the tools that we have at yeah. our fingertips. And that's yeah. namely our telephone. We have the internet that enables us to find realtors, to find contractors, to get photos, to get quotes. We don't need to be standing side by side. We can Skype. We, so to me, I just utilize the internet as one of the most powerful tools to get that information so I can get before and after photos. I separated out the contracting piece from my property manager so I would have a little bit more oversight. I didn't mm -hmm. like the fact that perhaps the property manager was upcharging to some degree. So I took out the contracting part, found my own contractor, but then my property manager goes and checks on the work there. So there's a, a double, so I don't get photos of someone else's house that doesn't exist. You know? <laughs> yeah. That can go. So I think there's always checks and balances. You just need to get, be a little creative and, you know, not be too scared, get out there, utilize the internet, utilize the people, the boots on the ground, the realtor, the team that we do have in place. And it, it is manageable and it is workable. I've completed 21 rehabs long distance. Wow. And during the, during that process, what was the biggest challenge or lesson that you learned? I wouldn't say a mistake. I would say a lesson. What lesson did it cost the most or did you learn the most? I think my biggest lesson was uh, not to quit and to just continue to persevere. Of course, I had my moments where I thought, my God, can I actually do this? Will I be able to accomplish this? And I would just push that self-doubt away. And I thought, no, I really need to uh, persevere. And the smaller lessons, when I would 
end up overpaying for something or I would have a, I would complete a rehab and then I would have a break in. And mm. I, I thought rather than let it break my heart to me, my message to myself was always any problem I could throw money at was not a real problem at all. And I would just keep persevering. And I thought, okay, I had a break mm. in fine fix the windows, fix it up, move on to the next problem at hand. So to me, any problem I could just throw money at, it was like, okay, at least that's solvable. No one's hurt. No one's child is injured. It's just a break in. It's just a broken pipe, whatever it is, I can throw money at it and move on to the next problem at hand. Hmm. That's very powerful, that thought, right? Because, you know, there's certain things that we're throwing money at right now in our business. And that thought of, well, you could just put money, you know, into it. It's like, you know, what, where is this on the emotional scaling perspective, right? Is it, is it, is, is it from zero to 10? And I hear what you're saying in that, you know, if you can put money into something to make it go away and make it better, then you move on and, and you get onto a better onward and upward, so to speak, versus getting so stuck in the problem or stuck in the thinking of this isn't good, what, you know, and I think that we all can do that. I have done that, you know, and um, it's not, it's not healthy, right? It doesn't help us move through the issue. I think, I think it's a great perspective, you know, and probably has helped you. And, 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 you know, when I'm in my good, good place, that's what I think, you know, and that's what I focus on when I'm all, when I'm not in the good place, wherever that is, you know, I go into to, to that negative, oh, you know, spiral. So then that's a great, great perspective. Um, so, so back to your team, do you have anyone, this is an interesting, especially as we've grown our portfolio out of state, do you have anyone that has an ownership stake in your properties or, or, or not? I'm just curious. No, currently I do not have anyone that has ownership stake. Okay. But the realtor wins because what, they're finding more properties for you or how, how is that realtor still involved in terms of just someone making, you know, taking a look at the property, make sure the property managers doing what they say they're going to do. Yeah, the realtor, it was a win-win in that they received those 21 commissions. So that realtor right. loved me. You know, they really, really like that. They're always emailing me. They want me to Buy purchase more. more. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's been a great win-win with the realtor. And they are all singles? Singles? Or no? They are all single family homes. My market doesn't really support uh, multifamily in that okay. the areas that do have multifamily, those are really in the war zone. Where so, are you at? In Ohio. Ohio. Okay. So I'm just in the single family and I'm renting them out section eight. So I'm doing a great, uh, one of my most gratifying moments is the fact that I realized that I'm helping 21 single moms and their young children have safe, affordable housing. And my single moms love the houses because they're in nice neighborhoods. Their, their children are able to go into decent schools and typically they end up, st they want to stay, they plan to stay for the next 12 years while their children are in school. Well, let's talk about section eight, if that's yeah. okay, because that's, it's something that we've, um, we've also, you know, we've had a number of tenants over the years that have had section eight. Um, so tell us, you know, in your own, you know, from your own perspective, you know, what, what, what section eight is, because everyone listening may not under, even know what that is, what it is, and how it affects you as the owner and, and those sort of things. How does it actually work? I know there's so many different government programs, but we have section eight here on the East Coast. So, and if you do, it, it must be a national program. 
It certainly is a national program, and it, it's great in that there's such a waiting list and such a demand and need for affordable housing across the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So you just go into the program, and you're, once your house is approved, then you go through two inspections, and many people look at those inspections as a detriment, like, oh, I'll have to improve this, I'll have to improve that. I look right. at it as a positive in that my homes will be up to code, they will be well cared for, and they will be, uh, you know, over, there will be oversight to make sure that my houses are, are stable and doing well. So I looked at that as a positive. The other thing I like about Section 8 is that uh, the stereotype is, oh, Section 8 tenants will tear up your houses, there'll be damage, and this and that. And I have found the exact opposite in that if your Section 8 tenant should by chance damage your house to some degree, they then risk losing their Section 8 voucher for life. Wow, as a for, result, is that for life? For life. So they're motivated. Yeah, that's actually a good perspective. Yeah. They are highly motivated then to keep their voucher, to keep good, uh, take good care of your house, to make sure their kids can stay in school and all. So I Mm -hmm. found it to be a great program. It's pretty Mm -hmm. gratifying. And uh, the houses stay up to code because someone is looking at them annually. And I've had nothing but good things to say Mm -hmm. about. I've never had an eviction. Yet, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> <Not going. laughs> I'm sure that's around the corner, but you know, so far, no evictions. So, I've had good experiences, good tenants. It really does come down to the screening of the tenants. Mm-hmm. But once you have a, a good tenant in there, um, it's, it's been a win win for me. Can you talk a little bit about how the payment works? Certainly. Section 8 works on a formula in that they evaluate the tenant depending on their situation. So it's all based on where the tenant is in terms of their work. Do they have a job? Uh, And most of my moms do uh, work. Uh, What is their income? And then it's a prorated formula. So the government ends up paying maybe 80, 75, 80 to 90 percent of their monthly rent directly to me. And then the tenant is uh, expected and required to pay their 10 to 20 percent of the remainder rent again directly to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll never forget one of our first Section 8 tenants uh, was a woman in one of our first buildings, and she was just a lovely person like 10, 12 years ago. And I remember she used when she sent in her because what, what's, what's neat about Section 8 is that the tenants have skin in the game, right? They're sending you a check and the government's sending you a check, a bigger check, much bigger check. But I, I, you know, you could appreciate that on some level, right? If you're paying for something, you're going to, you know, potentially take care of it, even if it's a small amount. So anyway, when she sent her portion in, every time she sent her check in, she would actually um, send in a prayer every time, every month on the (laughs) clock. You know, I mean, I just, I, when I think of like my, you know, like these fond memories of tenants, because they're not all like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because we've had our share of evictions, you know, it's too many, too many to count there. But, um, I, I always think of her and I think of like how wonderful she, cause she sent this beautiful prayer. And that was when I was receiving all the, all the, ten, all the checks and all the, all the, uh, all the rent checks. So I just read the, I read the prayer and I was like, that's wonderful. Well, funny a week ago, literally a week ago, 12, well, that was 12 years ago. She, we haven't had her as a tenant. My husband comes home and he's like, you'll never guess who called me. So then I go through like, okay, I was going through all like the people, a lender, I just, all, you know, all the people that we want to hear from, right? He's like, nope, nope, nope. 
<laughs> he said the woman's name like i said on air but he said the woman's name I'm like are you serious she goes yeah she's she's looking for a new place he had, she oh. had such a positive experience with us and she has my cell phone and you know not a lot of tenants have my husband's cell phone now but um but anyway he helped her and we were helping her find a place if it's not ours it's you know somewhere else so just cool you know like that was a nice call to get it's you so know cool. he caught up with her and chatted but i think you're raising a great point rita is that you can't go off of what people talk about like you know you have to go off of people's you know really get to know these programs any of these programs don't just hear what people say about them learn for yourself you know get get the positives get the negatives talk to people like yourself and I think people don't do that enough in this business you know they just hear like like you know kind of like hear like little points about it and then they just make a judgment and quite honestly from a section 8 perspective from any government program perspective you cannot discriminate against it you cannot discriminate against people. You cannot say, I don't, I don't accept Section 8. That's discrimination. That's just like saying, I don't take people that are Indian, right? That's discrimination, right? I don't take people with, that have a certain sexual orientation. That's discrimination. So it, it actually is the same level of discrimination if you, if you actually market or tell people verbally or in writing that you don't take people with government uh, programs. I, it's, it's a protected class. Am I right in saying that, Rita? Absolutely. It's illegal yeah. now to discriminate yeah. against. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. you can have your, 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 your limits on, on, on credit. You can have your income limits, right? So you can do all those things and you have to remain consistent and you have to have those things in writing. I mean, we still have our rental procedures in writing. It's critical, yeah. but you cannot discriminate against people for that. And uh, I think that's a good thing. I want to I wanna talk. You mentioned that majority of your tenants are single moms and I, I love when we are able to kind of marry our social impact with our real estate goals. So is it possible all the time? Sometimes it's not. But if, if we can make things work, of course, we give a lot of work for, for the contractors and people. We, we change communities. We improve communities. I do believe that the work that you're doing goes a little bit further because those ladies have a secure, a safe place, a decent place for them to raise their kids. And that you're kind of like changing and shaping the next generation that does not need to be living in a place that is not healthy for the kids. And when we are able to marry those two things, it's just, it's just a good feeling. Did you do that on purpose or just, it just happened to, to be single moms? I did do that on purpose. I've always heard about the Section 8 program, and I looked into it, and it was certainly, uh, there was a demand, and I thought, why not? And now I'm just so gratified by it. I would like to help another hundred single moms down the road, and I just think it's just so important to have safe, affordable housing over people's heads, and I'm, I'm just so gratified to be a little small part of that. Beautiful. Dorita, you mentioned too, and you know, some of our, our connections and certainly some of the things that we were learning about you and your background. You mentioned that you've raised um, two, two millennial entrepreneurial kids. You're a single mom yourself. You've been able to invest out of state, a really nice portfolio, a really nice size portfolio, um, and probably doing a million of other things. And you're, and you're a shameless plug, but you're one of our meetup leaders in yes. Florida, one of our investor meetup leaders. So if you, you want to get to know all of our 
groups that were growing, a little, little, little shameless plug there, go, go to Meetup and check out all of our groups there, the investor meetups. But Rita is one of our super valued uh, handful of ladies who are just doing amazing, amazing things, growing the, these communities in different parts of our country. But going back to my question, <laughs> sorry, got a little sidetracked. But um, so, so raising, raising your two kids, being a single mom yourself, um, building a portfolio, like, what do, you, what do you say to the women out there um, that, you know, just that, that, that want to raise, raise their kids and build that portfolio? What do you say to them, especially the single moms? So, like, I, I could only imagine that you have so much to focus on. How do you, do you manage that? What would you tell the women out there that don't see how they're going to make it happen or grow, grow what they want to grow? I would say just take it day by day and just try to set an example by being consistent in front of one's children, by being entrepreneurial, by being into education. I did this also, by the way, while I still have a full-time job as a psychiatric nurse. So I've always had that work ethic and I just wanted to be a little bit of an example. And I'm most proud of the fact that my daughter now is starting her real estate portfolio and is quite mm-hmm. entrepreneurial. So I'm very gratified and excited because we can talk about all that. But it just started with the education and you know, she saw me always in a podcast, always in a book. And you know, it, it just set, starts with setting that example. And if they want to come along, great. And if they don't, just build that massive and passive income for them as a legacy, as generational legacy for them down the road. What age is your daughter now that she's... She is 31. Okay. And what did you, did did you do anything with, like, did you be intentional? Like, okay, I'm going to take them and go to this course together. Or was there, was there something that you think, or was it just the exposure, like them watching you, right? They, my dad always says he's an educator and he's like, they do what you do, not what you say. Like my dad, I have this like (laughs) voice in my head. They do what you do, not what you say. So, you know, and it's true. So I'm curious, like, did you have any sort of like, let me involve them here. This is a great opportunity at this age. Like what, was there any of those types of, um, no, I think it was more about the exposure. I'm a big believer in letting people, you know, come to things on their own. And yeah. I would just always, you know, put it out there, talk about what I was doing, but never. It took her probably a year to jump in once she saw what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter, I think, by leading by example, by showing the way. And if people jump on board, great. And if they're not ready at this point, no, no worries. Perhaps they'd be ready down the road and just keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing what you do and uh, run with those that that want to jump on board and run with you. Nice. Mm. And what comes next for you, Rita? Well, my number is more. That's what I would like to do, (laughs) just more. (laughs) I would like to continue on the path I'm, I'm at. Uh, work with a portfolio lender, expand. I would like to eventually help 100 single family moms. And I continue every day to work on uh, education. I knew nothing about a self-directed IRA. I was self-taught and learned all about that. I put a number of homes into my self-directed IRA. So I'm always just in wanting to be a student of the game and learn. You know, I go to the different uh, weekends. I'm going to see you guys in Philadelphia in October. And I'm just always trying to learn what's next and I'm passionate about it. I'm just so excited about this game of real estate I'm in it for the long haul and I just want to do more and more and and who knows where it will take me and where it will 
end up and lead to. Yeah. I think there's so much value to being a student, like, you know, in, in your, in your, in this business, right? Because people, people often will say to someone and I'll, I'll often ask them like, oh, you know, you're going to that conference. I'm like, yeah, we go to conferences. Yeah. We have to learn. Like you can't know everything yeah, and be in this travel. business. Yeah. I mean, it's so they're not in our backyard. <laughs> I think what makes people successful is that they're a student, you know, and, and, and if they're not a student, now, there's things that you know, Rita, that you can explain better than anyone. Um, but we're all students and we're all teachers. I mean, if you, but you, if you always come from the teacher perspective, that's dangerous, I think, in any area of your life. Like if I just said, no, we're good, we're good, you know, I mean, I, I, I would be, that's mm-hmm. just, just, I don't know, maybe it's a woman thing because <laughs> obviously <laughs> our community is women. I think women tend to be more students, although men are. I shouldn't just bad mouth, bad mouth them. But, but it's true, though. I, I think there's a student mentality, and I think that's so, so important um, to be successful in anything, let alone this business of real estate investing, because things are always changing. You cannot be good in every aspect of this business. There's, I don't care. Take anyone successful, they're, they're, not, they're good at something. They're not good at all of them. They usually have a great skill and then look around them. They're not doing everything. Okay. They're not doing the property managing. They're not doing the construction. They're not raising the money. They're not doing it all. They're just not. I don't know anyone like that. So I think that's amazing that you have that mentality and you've been able to build the, 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 the portfolio that you've built and you're humble enough to say that. And then also say, yeah, I do know a lot and I'm super, you know, into the massive and I love the massive and passive. I mean, that's like, got to trademark that, Rita, massive and passive. <laughs> but um, to have that student mentality, and I think that's, uh, it's just admirable. I think that's really, really what makes you successful, quite honestly. So thank you. Rita, for the ladies listening, they want to learn more about what you're up to and, and all the great things you're up to, especially your, your awesome investor meetup. Where can, uh, where can the ladies learn more about you and all the great things you're up to in this uh, investment business? You can certainly join us at our Invest Her meetup the last Wednesday in Fort Lauderdale. You can find us on, uh, on Facebook with that or also on Bigger Pockets. I'm all over that. And that's probably the best way to contact me uh, there is where I get a, a lot of my education. Great. All of this information you can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. Are you ready, Rita? Yes, I am. All right. The first one is, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? I think it's um, how to stop worrying and start living mm-hmm. by Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. That he has thirty worry principles, and I was a certified Dale Carnegie instructor, so I've taught a number of this. And I think that's a big reason why I don't uh, do stress and I don't do worry in my life. It's because I employ a number of these principles every day. I also like a book uh, by Monique Ham. It's Wealth for Women, and it has 20 uh, – that's what I'm currently reading, so I like that – 20 interviews with rock star real estate female investors. It's pretty powerful. Beautiful. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? I feel like if I can win the morning, then I can win the day. I really try to wake up feeling grateful and happy every morning. I wake up and I count my blessings every morning. My children are happy. My children are healthy. So I really start the day with that. And I'm big on consistency. So I move through my day doing a number of small things that will add up to 
bigger things. So of all the areas of my life that are important to me, I am very consistent in them every day. For example, I'll eat healthy pretty much three meals a day every day. I'll show up at the gym. I do something in my real estate business, something small every every single day. So I'm very consistent. I pay attention to my children and I'm just there trying to be present in the moment and doing a number of small things. I really believe that every day is a blank slate. So mm-hmm. I don't beat myself up at the end of the day. Oh, I didn't do this enough. I didn't do my paperwork. I feel like every day is a blank slate. We're all a work in progress. And tomorrow is a brand new opportunity. I can work on those areas that I'm deficient in. But it really starts with me waking up happy, grateful, and starting with counting my blessings every morning. Definitely. The third question is, which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? I look at, I think, ordinary women, and I'm very uh, inspired by ordinary women doing extraordinary things. For example, I look at my two grandmothers who were single moms and raised their children, a set of twins, and they went to work in factories before it was uh, Mm. popular to, to go to work. I look at my mom who went to work at age 64 just to get health benefits for she and my dad. You know, I look at my family, I look at my niece, who's a beautiful young lady at 17, and her mom had passed away at, when she was three months old, mm-hmm. and she's evolved into a, an exceptional young lady. I, you know, I look at my daughter, who's stepping into real estate. So I, I get very inspired by ordinary women uh, doing extraordinary things, such as the women listening to this podcast who are building their real estate business. Those are the people that really fuel me and inspire me every day. That's wonderful. Yeah, Rita, you've been so inspiring. I know the, the fact that you were in the Dale Carnegie, um, you're a Dale Carnegie speaker. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> your way of being and you're, you know, you're super inspiring. You've inspired me. I know, Andressa, I'm sure, has, yes. you know, both of us have been super inspired. The ladies listening. So we thank you. We thank you for your time. We thank you for just sharing your wisdom with, with, with us and, and, and with our community. So thank you for, for you know, being you. Thank you. And I'm honored and humbled. And I want to thank both of you for all that you're both are doing to promote women in this real estate space. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rita. Thanks, Rita. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.